hey, why did you come to church here? Some of you may be wondering why you came to church here. That may be a question that's crossed your mind. It's really the question we've been asking over the last couple of weeks. Like, why this church out of all the other churches? You probably drove by three of them at least to get to this one. Why this one? Uh, I believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't pick churches, but God assigns you to them. Uh, perhaps one of the biggest struggles we have in this church and in the global church is that for a lot of us, we're still trying to pick a church whenever we have been gifted with gifts that God has given us so that we could serve a church for the glory of God and for the benefit of our neighbor so that everyone around us, including ourselves, will be built up on the work of Christ in us. You see, we, we believe that a healthy faith community divides the burden and multiplies the joy. And when you find a people that God has called you to be a people with, they spur you on to good works and godliness. And sometimes the spurring looks like godly face-to-face confrontation. Someone that was willing to look you in the eye and tell you the hard truth whenever you're running from the truth. And so what we want to do over the, uh, really this season as a church, the second quarter of the year that we've broken it up into, is really drive into the idea of who we are as a local body and ask the question, has God assigned you to this place or not? For some of you, God has sent you here to be refreshed and sent out. So your season and your time, it's perhaps coming to an end. You've become bitter even over the idea uh, that the church isn't what it used to be. Well, perhaps it's because your assignment is elsewhere and you continue to linger here as if it is going to be found here. I'm the first pastor and maybe one of the only ones that will tell you that I don't need uh, tons of people that just come into the church and sit Plop, pray, and pay. That's not what we're after for you. We're after becoming a community. If there's one driving factor, one driving aim that we've had as a local church, it has been to become a body of believers that share the work of the Spirit, encourage each other and build each other up as the Spirit moves, and we go out and serve in Jesus' name. It's to build a community and not just a building. Build a community and not just a ministry. We are ministers of the gospel, and we've been sent all over this city, and my aim would be that you would feel an assignment to this place that would allow you to serve it, and outside of it, serve in its name, so that we can make an impact for the work that God has called us to do. So are we your people? Is this your church? This is the question that I've wanted you to ponder over this series, and to help you answer that question, we've looked at a chapter in Luke's gospel, the 15th chapter, where Jesus has asked a question. It backs the mission that we have as a church. It's the reason we do what we do here. At Four Points Church, we exist to reach the least, the lost, and the lonely with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's why we preach. It's why we sing. It's why we serve. It's why we minister. So that those who are in the margins, so that those who are outside can be found in a community that has been captured and captivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ on the inside and has changed and transformed us. Is this the place and is this the mission that God would have you serve alongside? If the answer is no, be refreshed and be sent. If the answer is yes, get your boots on and let's get to work. That's been the landing point, the end point of where we are going today. Luke chapter 15, Jesus asked this question. Why do you hang out with messy people? Why are you hanging out with people that hurt your cred, hurt your reputation? Why are you around, as the text says in Luke chapter 15 verse 1, notorious sinners and tax collectors? Now we spent a lot of time and at great length, and there's all sorts of sermons on YouTube that have way too many clicks and views. Uh, for me to recap all of it with our time here right now in this moment. But Jesus was hanging out with a very marginalized, broken group. They were broken loudly. 
Some of you are sinful silently. But these are not the silent, sinful few. These are the people that wore it like a scarlet letter within the community around them. Jesus was hanging with people that you would walk on the other side of the street to get away from. That you would not go into a restaurant so you wouldn't have to be around them. So that you wouldn't have to make eye contact with them. So you wouldn't have to have the awkward conversation with them about what's going on that you've been gossiping about about them and not praying about them for them. So the Pharisees, the third group, come and ask Jesus, Why are you with them? Jesus gives them three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. But really the story is about two lost sons, because if you've been tracking the story, Jesus has been talking about the notorious sinners, and he's been talking about the tax collectors with the lost sheep, with the lost coin, and with the prodigal son that's just returned home that we talked about last week. But he brings the Pharisees, the people that have been church, the people that have been around the ministry, that have been on the trips, that can list off the things that they don't do because it perhaps outnumbers the things that they see and can see in their lives that they shouldn't do. Uh, They've now eliminated that and look pretty good on the outside. He now brings this other group, the Pharisees, into the story to conclude this chapter in Luke chapter 15. And from it we find an invitation for us today. Uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 20. If we're going to be a church that reaches the least, the lost, and the lonely, we can't be the older brother. How do you know that you're the older brother? Well, let me introduce you to him. Luke chapter 15, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. Where had the younger son been? In the far off place, partying. Where has the older brother been while he's been off partying? Diligently working, picking up the slack. Because they're a little bit lighter on the work. Whose workload got doubled? The older brothers. Whose job got more difficult? The older brothers. Who's been faithful? We would think the older brother, right? Because he's geographically where he is supposed to be. But the story goes on. The older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. Being a good Baptist, he asked, What is going on here? He asked one of the servants what was going on. Verse 27, your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed a fattened calf, and we are celebrating his safe return. Okay, I've been in the field working while the younger brother's been out in the far off place squandering. He shows up and he doesn't get a task list and a to-do list, but we are now throwing the very thing that has caused the negligence in his life, that has caused him to squander a third of our father's inheritance. He gets a party upon return and not a job assignment upon return. Something seems off. We are celebrating because of a safe return. Ends in 27, verse 28. The older brother was happy. He heard the cha-cha slide and said, well, let me go and join in. He was angry, and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once, uh, and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to do, and in all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always been with me, or by me, stay by me. 
and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead, and he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Uh, It's very easy to start in an attitude of gratitude and faithfulness in your service to God and move into the attitude of the older brother if given a little bit of time. you got to be careful when you go to church because church will jack you up if you're not careful. What starts as a vibrant relationship moves to a cold rule following that has no relationship involved in it at all. What started as a heart that wanted to know the Father moves into a heart that wants to be Uh, in a place where you are owed by the Father, the blessings in which you feel like the Father deserves to give you. Because you showed up whenever everyone else was showing out. Because you, you stayed around the things of God and you memorized the Word of God whenever everybody else was memorizing the words to something, anything that was but God. It's very easy to move from a passionate pursuit of God into an idea that we are to earn which is the very anti-gospel that we have to fight against. You see, we do not earn or get what we earn at any point in our Christian relationship. It's always a matter of grace. Grace is not opposed to your effort, but it is opposed to the idea that you've earned something from God. The moment you've earned it, it's no longer the gospel that you're walking in. It's man-made religion that you've made up and you've begun to reestablish yourself through. The moment you've earned, you'll divide the house of God into sex, the holy and the unholy, the righteous and the unrighteous, the well put together and the messy, so that you can distinguish yourself by your strengths while minimizing your weaknesses, while you magnify the weaknesses of others while minimizing their strengths. It's the way that we like to play the story and the narrative out in our life. And if we're not careful, we can become the older brother. So for a few moments, I just want to walk through the story and give you four signs that you've become the older brother. Four signs that we've become the older brother that we need to be aware of. Are you with me? All right, number one, what's the first sign that we could be leaking into becoming like the older brother? Number one, you're geographically close but spiritually far from the heart of the father. You're geographically close but spiritually far from the heart of the father. Uh, what happens in the story? The young, or excuse me, the older brother was in the field of his father, and when he returned home, he heard the music and the dancing. Verse 26, he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back. He was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and we are celebrating his safe return. Who never left geographically? The older brother. But whose heart left a long time ago? The older brother. You see, this is the problem. You are geographically close to the things of God, but your heart has wandered from a love of God, a devotion to God, a surrender to God. This is what happened to the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus started out in white-hot, passionate love of God. They loved doctrine. They loved good teaching. They didn't allow false teaching to be in their house or in their council. But in the book of Revelation, something happened. Between a white-hot love of God that allowed them to pursue the knowledge of God, it had become about the knowledge of God and not the relationship with God that the knowledge gave. And as a result of it, they had become cold-hearted towards God. So in Revelation chapter 2... Jesus confronts them through John in this revelation that he's seeing, and he says, I have this one thing against me. You have forsaken your first love. You see, any spiritual act that's not done out of an act of love for God ultimately will be done out of an act of self-righteous love for yourself. A A desire to distinguish yourself amongst the Christian faith. So you you begin to uh, acknowledge publicly and through platforms that you have the platitudes of things that you do or don't do or used to do but now you don't do and addictions you've overcome, not as a testimony to the power of God and his deliverance in you, but really as a boast of 
your own glory, as a boast of how you've arrived, as a boast of how you are better than other Christians who perhaps are earlier in the journey and more, con- and more uh, captivated in the struggles of their addictions that they had before they met Christ. You see, it's very easy to become so consumed with the duty of serving your father that you neglect relationship with him. I never will forget talking to a pastor in Oregon, and I asked him what he was reading in his personal devotion time, and he said to me, I don't have one. I said, well, what do you mean you don't spend time with God in personal devotion? He said, well, I I have to write sermons every single week, and so my devotion is the sermon that I'm preparing, and I just write my sermon, and that's all that I study, and that's all that I read, but I never read just to read the Bible. I never read just to fellowship with God. I just read to get a sermon. How many of you started out with a job that you were going to serve God with, but now it's just about getting the money? How many of you started out serving on a team within our church, but now it's just about doing and filling the space that you've got to serve, and it's not actually about honoring and loving and pursuing the heart of God with the gifts that he's given you and giving him glory? How many of us start and wander into this kind of space where we're still geographically there, but we don't desire relationship or connectivity with God in what we do, we just simply are doing it because it's what we're supposed to do? I've met many a dry Christian, many a numb Christian, who has walked in the path of staying close to God. They still go to church, but they don't serve the God that they sing of in church. They still hang around the house, but they don't love the God of the house that they're actually meant to be engaging with around. You see, instead of a father, he's a boss. Instead of someone you get to serve, you have to serve him. Instead of an opportunity to serve, it's an obligation. How many of you here have slid into the path of obligatory attendance, of obligatory service? This is the path to becoming the older brother. This is how it happens. I used to because I got to, but now I do because I have to. How do you know that you're on this path? Let me give you two warning signs. Number one, You know that you're on this path because you're too busy to be present before God. It's always about what's next. It's always about how much more. It's always about what's on the other side. So you can't just sit in a moment. Could they wrap up the singing and just get to the preaching? Can the preacher wrap up the preaching and just get to the commissioning and getting us out of the door? Can we wrap up the commissioning and get us out of the door so I can just get in the car? Can I just get in the car so that we can just get home? Can we just get home so we get to the next thing? And there's never a moment to abide with God in the one thing that's actually happening right now. It's always about what's next. It's always about what's in the future. It's always about the next high. It's always about the next achievement because it's not about just simply being a son or a daughter that gets to walk in whatever it is at his side. It's about what's next. Instead of about what is now. And the last I checked, the easiest express way to find a life that's filled with anxiety and worry is to worry about what will come tomorrow, which is a great way of saying worrying about what is next instead of being consumed with what is now and the fact that God is with you in whatever now is and he'll take care of whatever's next whenever you get there. How many of us don't have time to spend time with God. Now, I can understand the battle with wanting to be regimented in your time with God and consistent in it and struggling to do so. I've read Atomic Habits. It's an incredible book. I think everybody should read it at some point in time. If you're trying to change bad habits into good habits in your life, there's a lot of good help that can come from that book on doing it. But at the end of the day, I have three of these things called kids. And we lay out our schedule, and they yell, Anarchy! every single day. We're going to wake up at 6 
We're going to have a quiet time. For me, that consists of waking up, grabbing my Bible, sitting up in bed and reading it. For my wife, that consists of waking up, putting some coffee on, grabbing some markers, getting a journal, lighting a candle, sitting down with her Bible open, opening a window shade so that you see outside with the birds chirping. And then in that moment, with that setting, she then reads her Bible. Because for some reason, some of us, we've got to have a setting. You didn't want to laugh at that, but that was a lot more funny than... Maybe it's the heat that's getting to you, but, but, but we, we want to have devotions. We want to put God first in our family. It's the chief value that I'm going to talk to you about next week in some extensive length. But my point is, you set the schedule, and all of a sudden, the six-year-old comes to the side of your bed in the middle of the night and says, Mama, and throws up on you. I have been thrown up as a parent about seven or eight times now, involuntarily. I then wanted to project and throw up back at them, but the Holy Spirit caught my gag reflex. My, my point in talking about vomit is that there are going to be times in your life where your plans that you've made to make margin for God are not going to come through, and you're going to have to find time for what's most important later in the day or at some other point in the day. And when God is preeminent and first in your life, it doesn't matter what happens to start the day. You still get in the Word of God at some point before the day is done. It may not be in the middle of the day or the work day. It may be late at night before you get on Netflix, before you chill, before you do anything else on social media. You get in the Word of God because you know you need the presence of God and relationship with God to sustain the life that you are in. Otherwise, the kids are going to get the devil and not Jesus through you. Ooh, got three or four people that are feeling it right now in the middle of the heat. The rest of y'all just sweating and getting nothing out of it. Amen. So you can either sweat and push in or you can sweat and waste it, right? So what, what's going on? For many of you, you, you just don't have enough time. You see, the truth is all of us get the same amount of time. We get the same amount of time. The difference between those that do consistently spend time with God and those that don't is that they make it the most chief of priorities in their life. So what doesn't get time whenever God hasn't gotten time? Well, at the end of the day, just about everything. Everything else gets less time if God hasn't gotten time, if God is preeminent in our life. But whenever we're too busy to spend time with God, we punt it to the next day or punt it to the next season. We're in an allergy season, so I'll just, you know, like get up and read whenever I'm not sneezing half the night. Is God more value? Do you need sleep or God? Do you need food or God? Do you need entertainment or God? You see, these are the harder questions that we don't like to ask ourselves because when the preacher starts preaching them, everyone gets convicted and everyone gets quiet and we act like we're not listening. This is the path to becoming the older brother, to getting offended at grace and getting mad whenever God's welcoming in prodigals who are messy, who you feel like haven't earned enough. How do you know that you've become the older brother? You're geographically close, but spiritually far from the heart of the Father, which means you're too busy to be present before God. Number two, you are, uh, all you give him is lip service. This is how you know that you're geographically close, but far from God. You give him lip service. So a lot of us sing a whole lot of stuff right now that has no impact or implication on the life that we're about to live when we walk out of this place. You are Lord. You're God. The creator over all, I trust you. You're my firm foundation. You're the rock on which I stand. And then we walk out and we build and live on the rock of our achievements. We live on the rock of our status. We live on the rock of our energy and abilities. We live on the rock of our perspective. We live on the rock of what we believe to be possible instead of living on the rock of him. So all we've done is say things to God that we don't actually mean. Flattery is a sin. Let me be very clear. For some of you, you talk about encouraging people. No one's encouraged by flattery. Whenever you lie to them and tell them something that's not true. And for a lot of us, we've come in with an attitude not of worship, but of flattery to God. We want to give him flattery. What are we going to say to him? You're great. You're good. Now, I'm going to take my life because I don't trust you with it, and I don't believe you're actually going to give me abundance in it, and I'm going to go do with it what I want to do on my own, on, my, on the side. So what ends up happening is we drift from the heart of the Father. We're giving him lip service. Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 to 9, quotes the book of Isaiah. He says this, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right. He's speaking to the 
Pharisees, who are also in the story that we're looking at in Luke 15, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. It's a joke. Satan and his kingdom doesn't tremble whenever he hears the worship of people with a compartmentalized faith. With the people that are going to live independent from the power of God and the presence of God, which means they can't do the work of God in their life. So many of us have come in and we want to brag about what we've done for God this week instead of honoring God for what he's done in us. You see, one is Christian and one is man-made religion. You see, man-made religion is what you do for God, but the gospel and what makes us Christian is what Christ has done for us. It's always about that. So the reason we come in to sing, the reason we still have reason to praise, is because God has moved on our behalf this week in minor and in major ways, and he's worthy of praise and acknowledgement of the fact that if it weren't for God, if it, but, but for God, we would be ruined. But for God, we would have been overcome. But for God, intervening on our behalf, we would not have made it to another week. And so we come into the house, and for a lot of us, we're like, well, I didn't do good this week, so I can't praise God. Why are you so consumed with you again? But for God, you're still here. His mercy is still there. His kindness has not run out. His grace is still sufficient for you. But for God, sing, rejoice. He's still with you. He's still present. He's still active. But when it's for you and about you, and you don't feel like you can offer something because your performance this week wasn't great, you then shrink back and give God lip service about a life that you don't want to surrender because you don't understand the grace that is sufficient in your time of need to call and beckon you to come forward with your life no matter how messy or ugly it may be. You see, for a lot of us, we're giving God lip service. Lip service relationship, lip service worship, lip service living, and lip service Christianity. You see, what happens when you're in the lip service side of the faith is you know the shoulds of the faith, but you have completely forgotten the why. You know what you should do? You don't do it, and you don't know why you would want to do it. Why be inconvenienced? Why let your life be that impacted? Why have your life, your, your perspective, that radically transformed by it? You see, self-righteous people love to come to the house of God and talk about other sons with servants outside the house. But they rarely go in the house to talk to the father. That's what's going on. <laughs> the older brother shows up, and who does he go to? A servant to find out what's happening in the house. Who does he not want to talk to? The father about what's happening in the father's house. He doesn't care about what the father's doing and why he's doing it. He just wants to know why he's not the reason for the party that's happening within the house. Because it's not about the father and what brings the father's heart joy. It's about the son and what brings him joy and the feeling that the father doesn't care about his joy anymore. You see, what's actually happening when he's talking to the servant on the outside of the house is he's doing what a lot of our Bible study prayer groups are. You know, the gathering of the gospel good news prayer warriors of Four Points Church, which is actually at times a gathering of the gossip news We'll say a prayer about it at the end so that we don't have to call it gossip warriors of Four Points Church where you get the scoop on what's actually happening happening instead of getting on your knees and praying for the broken things in other people's lives that grieve the heart of the father that he desires to work and move through so are you a conduit of his prayer are you a petitioner a gatekeeper that stands on the gate as a watchman that looks out for the work of god in the lives of other people and starts by praying instead of giving advice and gossiping for others or do you start by gossiping about them and then maybe if you're confronted with it you'll actually pray for them to the ears of the father that could actually transform and change them or do you just want to stand on the outside of the house and talk about them? In this church, it doesn't work well like that. 
you, I'll go ahead and tell you, if all you want to do is gossip about a faith that you're not living and gossip about others who are falling short of it, we're not going to be welcome and you're not going to find a lot of joy here. It's going to be uncomfortable every single week. My bare feet will be the least of your worries because as the Spirit of God moves through the Word of God in this house, we'll continue to welcome and celebrate and throw parties for prodigals that are coming home. And if you aren't comfortable with the scandalous grace that begins to celebrate at the moment of repentance, then you're not going to be comfortable in this house because at the end of the day, we'll throw the party earlier than you think it should be thrown and we'll celebrate the to change earlier than you think it should be celebrated whenever you're wanting to pump the brakes and look for signs of change over a long period of time know that heaven's throwing a party and i'm not waiting if heaven's throwing the party to join in with them no oh, four people in the heat four people in the heat how do you know that you're becoming the older brother you're geographically close but you're spiritually far from the heart of the father number two you're offended by grace the brother comes up in verse 28. He talks to the servant about the son on the inside, but what does he refuse to do? He refuses to go in. What does that have to do with me? How many of you refuse to go to a church because of a person? How many of you walk up to a restaurant, if you see someone in a window, you'll go to a different restaurant just so you don't have to see them? How many of you have ever played this same game? I'm not going in there. Why? Because they're there. Lord forbid you would have to practice the word of God and that we're called to, to confront each other in love, to deal through difficulties and extend grace and receive grace and extend forgiveness and receive forgiveness. Lord forbid you would have to practice one of the 58 one another's that are listed within the New Testament for us to practice as a community where you have to, I don't know, consider one another, love one another, endure with one another. <laughs> Lord forbid it. Lord forbid that you would have to love someone that's difficult because you were so easy for God to love. But thank God his love isn't like your love. Thank God that he got off of transactional love and offered us covenantal love. Thank God that he gives us love that lasts and endures through the night and gives us new mercy every single morning. Thank, thank God that he doesn't do it the way that we like to do it. Because for a lot of us, we're offended by his grace whenever he loves someone instead of smites them. We're more like Jonah than we are like the disciples at Pentecost. We would rather God send fire down on them and consume them than actually love and embrace them and change them. He wouldn't go in. What's his response? What's his thought? You forgave too quick. I don't think my brother's repentance was genuine. Maybe that's his thought. They're, they're just playing a game like you don't. Like you aren't playing the shuffling cup game with God. Hiding the evil motives that sometimes accidentally surface in your heart so that you can always present yourself as if your motives are actually fully pure. No, they're not. We all desire platitudes and attaboys. We all desire to build identities at different times in our life, wandering from God and built on the self-sufficiency of ourself. And then whenever it doesn't work uh, for the thousandth time, whenever we build a life of our own construct or of our own way and of our own will, we then come back to God and we try to acknowledge that we've not drifted as far as we've actually drifted from Him. So we think things of other people. You forgave too quick. Their repentance isn't genuine. Uh, they have gotten rid of... They haven't gotten rid of said addiction or habit long enough for us to be confident that we should be celebrating. But as a church, let me, be, let me just remind you again, we celebrate at repentance because it's the beginning of God's work in the life of a resurrected person. So the moment they repent, we throw the party. 
not six months after the discipleship process, not, not after they figured out their eschatology and their soteriology, not after they've nailed down every big ology that we can throw out there in the faith. We start to celebrate in this house when prodigals turn and come home. And look, it's driven people from our church because they're not comfortable with it. They're like, why, why are you making such a big deal out of a decision? Why are you making such a big deal out of a person getting baptized? Why are you making such a big deal out of someone going to marriage counseling? Because... It's the beginning of God's work in people's lives. It's the beginning of them turning to God and yielding to God in a way that they've not yielded before. And when you yield to God, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we can celebrate that the work God begins, he will finish in the very end. How do you know you're becoming the older brother? You're offended by grace. Number three, how do you know you're becoming the older brother? You serve to earn. You serve to indebt God to you instead of serving because you love God and want to honor God through it. Verse 29, look at what happens. The father comes out. He pleads with the older brother. Uh, He begged him to come in, but verse 29, he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. Now, you don't have to say amen to this. You don't have to agree to it, but for some of you who've been in church a long time, and what started out as a free will choice of service to the church turned into something that you viewed as, I have to an obligation. You didn't get to, you had to do it. And as a result of it, there was no joy in it, and there was no honor of God that you were giving through it, because it was just what you had to do, because all these other neglectful people in this house didn't sign up to serve. Because all these other people in the house just want to show up, and they don't want to help out. So instead of it being your joy to serve others, you've now made it an obligation, which means you've drifted from the heart of God in it. I've slaved for you. Those are his words. It wasn't I get to serve you, Father. I get to live in your house, Father. I get to enjoy what you've built, Father. I get to enjoy your goodness, Father. Instead, it's I have to do it. I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me. I follow the rules. Now, who's in view in the story? The notorious sinners? The task collectors? Or the Pharisees? It's, It's the Pharisees, right? And what are they saying? What's Jesus saying to them? I followed your He's saying, you think you have kept no other gods before me, but your self-righteousness and you being vindicated as better than has become your God. You appearing to be put together is more important than you being associated with your father. You appearing to be self-sufficient is more important than looking like a son to a father. You've grown up. You've matured. You don't need God in the same way that you used to. Do, 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 do you get the mindset and the slippery slope we slide down? That leads us into having this kind of posture towards the least and the lost and the lonely that are within our community? I used to depend on him there, but... We got it. Oh, that's a sure way to welcome hell back into it. His service is no longer about a love of the Father. It's an obligation to the Father. His service is never an act of worship to the Father. It's now become a way to indebt the Father to Him. How do you know that you slid into this path, this, this path? Let me give you two reasons. Number one, you view possessions as something you've earned versus a gift that's been given to you. You view possessions as something you've earned versus something that's been gifted from God to you. That's how you know you've begun to serve to earn. I've met with several millionaires in my lifetime. I never will forget the conversation. It was one of those weird moments um, where I'm sitting with a farmer that has two harvests a season, 
and he nets around four million a harvest. And he was struggling with how he was going to make it on four million, you know, because the government's taking taxes. What, 39%, which is the max tax rate, he's still coming in at about 4.23 million. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how he's going to make it. Maybe you can get a trailer in the woods. I don't know. And what was really going on within him was this, this torment over the fact that he never felt like he had enough. Generous people, let me, let me make it clear to you, generous people aren't necessarily the richest in our community. Generous people have rightly identified their possessions within history, though. They see that money is a gift from God, that the ability to earn money is a gift to God. Uh, they see that houses are a gift from God, that they're a possession from God. I've watched churches that have allowed the things that they possess to possess their hearts over God, so their building no longer is available to the community because it's their house, and if they let the community in, they'll mess up their building. So the church moves from being a place where life is at to often being a place where there's no kids in the kids' hallway, and it begins to collect dust and rot and become a museum until some other church takes it over and moves in with new life and opens it back up for the very purpose that it was created. I mean, the only reason we have buildings is so that we can reach and connect with our community. Let me take it to a step that's personal. Why do you have a house? Because you're ambassadors of Christ. And the whole point of that house is to have a deck or a backyard or a space for which you can invite your neighbors in for a meal. So that gospel conversations can happen. Now I know that we don't like it to be this uncomfortable because now we've gotten personal. When it's about churches not opening their doors, we're like, yeah! But when it's about you keeping your door closed in your neighborhood, we get silent. What was meant to be a means to serve God has now become a means to serve ourselves. And yes, God wants you to rest in your house. Yes, God desires that you would be refreshed there. But don't, don't mistake the fact that he has placed you in the neighborhood you are in and the place that you are in so that you can use what he has given you to be an act of service to everyone around you. Now, let me be very clear. When I talk about generosity, I'm not talking about your giving to the church. Baseline obedience is not generous. That's just being obedient. And a lot of people are like, well, I don't believe in that. Okay, so you want to go with the New Testament way of giving. New Testament way of giving is you give all that you have at the leadership of the Lord. Most people that, 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 that are like, oh, I don't like that whole like, tithe thing. I believe in the New Testament. Then you go over to the New Testament example, and that is open-handedly, freely you've received, freely you give. And you're like, well, I do that. Well, when's the last time you opened your hand over all of your possessions and said, God, they're all yours. What would you have us do? Seriously, if that's the way you're going to live, how often are you deferring to God as to the standard of generosity that he would call you to live by? Otherwise, you've got to be understanding of the fact that greed is deceptive, and what happens is subtly gifts that were meant to honor God become possessions that we dishonor God with. So now, now we've earned what we've got, so we don't need to give it to those messy people. We don't need to extend it to our neighbor that's in the position they're in because of their mistakes. Isn't it amazing how when you are in a difficult season of life, you're the victim? But when someone else is in a, a difficult season of their life, it's their fault and their decisions that put them there? That's the heart of greed. That's the heart of greed, and it should not be allowed. It should not be present in our own hearts. You view possessions as something you've earned versus a gift that was given. That's how you know you're serving to earn. Number two, how do you know you're serving to earn? You are rewriting the scorecard, and it's not God's. What do, you, what do you do when you serve to earn? You begin to make your service about how righteous you are. And then anyone who doesn't serve the way you serve, do it the way that you do it, 
they somehow are substandard and unrighteous. You magnify your strengths, minimize your weaknesses, while you magnify their weaknesses and minimize their strengths. How many of you have been here? How many of you have done this subconsciously? How many of you looked across this church today and saw another person and thought, thank God I'm not them? There's a story just two chapters over in Luke 15, excuse me, in Luke 18, three chapters over, about a Pharisee who was very confident in his own righteousness. And the Pharisee stood there and he thought, I'm good. God, thank you. This is his prayer. Thank you that I'm not like that tax collector who's on the altar crying out to you. Thank you for not making me like that. He thinks that his earning, his education, his status has distinguished him in his own self-righteousness of being better than the guy on the altar. And what he doesn't understand is that he, no matter what his platitudes are and position is in life, should be the same person at the altar that he was on the day God found him. In need and in desperate dependency upon God. This is what we've been called to do. If you're serving to earn, you keep a scorecard that tracks your highlights, minimizes your lowlights, and as a result of it, demonizes your neighbor. Finally, how do you know that you have become the older brother? Well, number one, you're geographically close, but spiritually far from the heart of the Father. Number two, you're offended by God's grace. Number three, you serve to earn. And number four, finally, you live with an us versus them mentality. Look at verse 30 with me. As the father pleads with him, he speaks to the things he's done for his father, that he believes has earned him a goat. Much less, let's not argue the fact that he's wanting a goat to eat whenever there's brisket on the table. Whenever the fattened calf's already been killed and there's already been a party that's thrown that he and his friends can enjoy as they celebrate his brother's homecoming. But instead, he says this, when this son of yours, now is the older brother a son? Yes. So the father that's the father to the prodigal is the father to him. So doesn't that make the other son his brother? So why is he distancing himself so hard from his brother? Why is, why is he trying so hard to say, not my team? Not around me. Not my brother. Not my brother. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is asked the question, what's the most important part of the law? Jesus' answer is, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the Pharisee says, well then, uh, who's, who's my brother? Who does this apply to? So Jesus tells them a story of a good Samaritan. That'd be like talking about, uh, in today's times, a good, I don't know, you fill in the blank of what group you don't like to be around. An enemy that you don't agree with their point of view, but they love the Lord. They just methodologically do it differently than you. And I get that there's a difference between tertiary and primary things. For a lot of us, we have divided over the secondary issues that should not be creating divisions within the family of God. There are a lot of brothers that we're looking at right now going, not my brother, and you're going to be shocked when they're standing beside you and perhaps even moved in beside you on the other side of eternity. You see, you live with an us versus them mentality. You begin to think, I'm not like them. Thank God I'm not like them. Thank God that I'm not there. Instead of understanding that perhaps the reason you were there and you're not there anymore is so that in this moment you could help a brother that is there and needs help to get from there to where God's calling to go next. 
See, that's the difference between a community and a competition. For a lot of us, church is a competition. We're competing to see who's better than, who can get the higher position than, who can get the seats beside whatever in the church. Instead of understanding that this, this has nothing to do with the seats we sit in or the elevation we find ourselves in. It's about a service to a Savior who is seated on the throne, who we get the opportunity to worship. We don't have to, we get to. We are obligated to, but it's our joy to. It's our joy now to be the path clears that Isaiah speaks of, where it says, it'll be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove the obstacles for my children to come home. You see, today, you and I are either obstacle clears or we are obstacle makers when it comes to people coming into an encounter with the people of God and the work of God. So are you putting obstacles in this church for those that are messy from coming in? If so, repent and get it out of the way. Let's not add to the gospel. Let's not add rules that make it more difficult to get to Jesus. Let's not crowd the pathway for the broken and the needy and the heartbroken to come into faith and come into contact with Jesus Christ. In this house, we are a church that lives and exists to reach the least, the lost, and the lonely with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that means we welcome the prodigal. We seek out the one that's lost. We sweep the whole house to find the one coin that has been lost so that it can be restored and it can be found. And when they come home, we throw a party and we begin to celebrate because heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents of their sin and comes back home. This is our heart. Are we your church? Is this the place where God would have you? Remove the obstacles so that they can come into contact with Him or not. We're going to major on it. And if you become the older brother, you're going to go crazy being here because we're going to throw crazy good parties. Yeah. We're going to throw really good parties. We're going to hoot and we're going to holler and we're going to rejoice in the things that God rejoices in as the work's beginning and not when they're done. And, and that's going to make some of you uncomfortable and you're like, but, but they already been baptized like three times at three other churches and we're going to dunk them and hoot and holler and I might get in the baptistry with them and celebrate and lift them up and we may carry them out in chairs celebrating that they come home. And you're like, but they are, but, but they, they did it once already, okay? It's not the right order. I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. I can, I can get there too. It's really easy for me to be like, ha, that's a little messy. Uh, just last week, the Holy Spirit was moving in our church. I'll land on this. I really will. I'm not going to preach for you. I'll, I'll really land on this. The Holy Spirit was moving in our church in a powerful way, and there's a lady that went up to a person, and uh, we're very cautious about this. I, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but here we are. Because uh, usually when someone says, I've got a word for you, if the Bible's not open, you should tell them to shut up. I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? Like, there are a lot of people that run around like, I got a word, I got a word. Okay, okay. If that's happening like every week, that's probably, that's probably not God. That's a person. But, but here's the thing. Like they just felt so impressed upon that God was like at work on someone in the church. So they, they sat down and the entire service, they were just praying and pleading, God, God, please. Like, just praying for the person. Not wanting to make a spectacle. And they just felt God like, and, and so they went on like, I, I, this is weird. But I got to tell you, I, the Lord's just, I got to, and, and just starts like speaking into the life of a person she doesn't even know. And, and the dude just melts. And it's like, just like losing it in that moment. Like it was, it was in time and in step with everything that they have been arguing with God about and struggling with God about and God's mood. And, and I, I, just, I just want you to, to know it's messy around here. I heard that story and my first thought was, oh gosh, what did they say? What did they do? Instead of going, oh, oh with, you know, it's God at work in it. Instead of leading with belief that God may be at work in a unique way. And I get it that for a lot of us, our theological constructs eliminates the more supernatural ways in which God works. But you're in a house that welcomes it. You're in, 
you're in a house that looks for it, and you're in a house that will correct it when it's not the Holy Spirit that's at work. And so I, I, I just want you to know, this is who we are. I don't want you to be hid. I don't want to hide it from you. I don't want you to have to attend 20, 30 times to figure it out. This is what we are. We welcome prodigals. We welcome simple people. We are messy, and we, in the mess, expect God to be moving. And we don't always clean up the mess as quick as you think it should be cleaned up. Instead, we pray for each other and walk with each other in the mess. And if you're not okay with that, we may not be your church, and that's okay. We love you. Be blessed and be sent to wherever God has found a group of people that you can be a part of and assigned to to serve and honor Him. But if this is your church, get your boots on because God's got incredible things that are ahead for us, and He's doing incredible things through us, and I can't wait to see what's going to be next. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer team, you come. If you need prayer, they're here. You move as the Lord leads.